I'm Elise Lonsdale, editor, producer and co-presenter of the Kiwi and EMU, and this is part two with Bronwyn Scott. Today we're talking about mobility, O&M. There's a story, is it true, the Kiwi has a brother, the Aussies call him EMU, he runs around all Uluru. They've been mates, that wingless pair, the ones up here and ones down there, a pair of Anzacs stuck by glue, the Kiwi and the EMU. Hello and welcome to the Kiwi and the Emu, a podcast exploring the experience of blind and vision impaired Australasians living through the corona experience. Two countries, two different approaches with similar outcomes, the Kiwi and the Emu. And it is the 16th of November 2020 for episode 35 of the Kiwi and the Emu and we're still on the porch for a little while longer anyway, and then it's back again to the studio. We seem to be toing and froing now that we've got no restrictions, hey, Carolyn? That's for sure. But I'm still in my living room, as per mm, normal. Right. Yes, you, yes you, you only stay in the living room or maybe sometimes another room in your house, but I'm the one who seems to be moving about a bit, <laughs> which is good because we've lived through our second wave and we've had these most severe restrictions for... We're only really meant to go for six weeks. It ended up going for... Well, from the beginning of July almost to halfway through October, mm-hmm. which is whatever, three, four months. It got really bad in uh, oh, yeah. August, from one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sure did. We got really, really, we struggled. And of course, it's the second episode with Bronwyn, Dr. Bronwyn Scott. But before we start that, um, there's been some developments overnight with South Australia. Um, they've had three cases. And some people jumped on an aeroplane and went to Perth. No, not, yes, from South Australia, and they jumped on the aeroplane. And some were notified before they left that when they got to WA, they'd have to quarantine. And consequently, they did that, or they just backed out of it and left. Other people weren't aware of it until they got to WA, and it's all of a sudden, well, you've landed in WA, and you're from South Australia, so you're going to now have to quarantine. And it's like, what? We didn't sign up for that. And they're starting to introduce more restrictions as of tonight. Now, you said you had something else to tell us about masks on public transport that came in overnight. Yes, it's, it's all because of the fact that we had one community case uh, linked to a managed isolation cluster or uh, mm-hmm. thereabouts yep. in, in Auckland. And I think they felt they needed to do something, but they didn't want to put us into a lockdown so they've decided right. to make, as of Thursday of this week, the wearing of face masks compulsory on all public transport, including rideshare services. And also, if you fly domestically, you've got to wear face masks. Wow, unbelievable. I wonder if my exemption w- would work in New Zealand. And how long are they going to make that um, mandatory think- for? Well, they seem to think this will go on for a long period of time, but I think mm. that, that there are some, they haven't sort of publicised the exemptions, but I do know of one blind friend who was given several months ago by his cardiologist an exemption because he's a bypass, heart bypass patient. Yep. Sorry, not heart bypass, he's got a pacemaker. Mm. And the specialist said that the wearing of the mask could potentially increase the work of the pacemaker. Yep. So he's that was why it he does was, res- it does drop your oxygen intake by about yep. twenty or twenty five twenty percent or something, and it also 
means you're breathing in your own CO2 anyway with, with, with a mask on. Yeah. So, yeah, well, it can well, be an issue for people with breathing and heart problems. And, I mean, he was quite okay with wearing so a face mask, so he was quite surprised and quite interested in what the specialist said. So mm. there are some exemptions, but they just haven't been hugely publicised. No. It's a bit like our bonking ban here. They didn't want to. They didn't. They didn't want to sort of publicise that because they knew people would take advantage of it, and I'm sure many people did. That was mm. the ban they locally record referred to here as the bonking ban. It meant that you could go and see your beloved, your partner, your significant other, whoever that you didn't necessarily live with, but you uh, you couldn't actually have friends around for a cup of coffee. I guess what I I worry about is that anyone who potentially does have an exemption could get some abuse from flag. others yeah, and flag, yep. and, and that's not fair. I agree. Our chief medical officer here, Professor, um, Professor Sutton, was saying exactly the same thing. If you see somebody walking down the street without a mask on because they've been made a requirement here in Victoria since, August, uh, since July, uh, if you see somebody walking down the street, just don't, don't bother them because they may well have a legitimate reason why not to wear mm. it. And this is coming from the chief medical officer. Mm. Um, I see a restri- I see a, an easing of mask rules coming in Victoria as of the 23rd, which is less than a week away now, or a week away rather, uh, because I think people are going to find it very difficult in summer. And, you know, they just, there's some talking about just, you know, if you're out on your own, nowhere near anyone walking down the street, you don't necessarily have to wear a mask. I mean, so who, who could you infect? And then mm. the masks are more apt to to protect others from you rather than you from them mm. uh, although they will offer some protection to you but it's mainly they're mainly they're mainly more effective when it comes to your ability to um shed the virus as it's been termed because if you do have the COVID 19 virus or the coronavirus or SARS-CoV-2 whatever you want to call it um it's the shedding of that virus onto surfaces and through your breath through aerosols that causes it to um mm. to uh to transmit to other people so there you go so um we, we're looking for more easing of restrictions come a week from today which is good for victoria south australia had 20 cases overnight that started with three which sent the wa people into a spin and this morning there were 17 more so let's hope it's not all too bad news for south australia and that their contract tracing uh, well, can work no international no. flights going into adelaide at the moment no no and um yeah, and that so, was one of the ports where us Kiwis could fly into. Oh, well, there you go. Ooh, wow, jeez, unbelievable. And we are fortunate enough to have Dr. Bronwyn Scott back, who is our CVI expert, but also the O&M's O&M. She's trained most of our fantastic O&M's, uh, and O&M stands for Orientation and Mobility, instructors in Australasia. And it's our great pleasure to welcome, once again for a second round, she's back again, Dr. Bronwyn Scott. Welcome back. To the Corona Chair. Thanks. You'd think I'd have enough, just one Corona Chair invite, but I know. One day I'm going to throw that Corona Chair in the fire. (laughs) Blow it up. Let's hope we can soon. (laughs) Yep. Obviously, not when there's somebody sitting in it. No. (laughs) I appreciate it. Either either that or we could auction it off. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Somebody gets a virtual Corona Chair for a virtual. Maybe a bit of, I don't know, for a virtual lollipop or a virtual bit of Bitcoin or something. I don't know. 
and then we got to then we got to do something to the corona couches. We have a corona mm. couch, so it's when we have more than one person on at the same time. So there you go. So back to Bronwyn, who's going to tell us about mobility, but also um, see how it relates to because in the CVI component of this episode one, last episode we learnt that Bronwyn had actually been been ahead of the pack, hadn't you, with uh, your working with people online, not necessarily face to face with the CVI, but of course in the O and M realm, things were a bit different for you. Yeah, there was not many people going anywhere. Um, yeah. yeah, well, where have you got? Where do you want to do your O&M to? The front door. We're not allowed out. So, yeah. You're not allowed out the front door, so why even bother going yeah, there? Yeah, everything pretty much <laughs> stopped. Um, well, there was a little window of time back in May, June, where I was able to get out yep. um, when Victoria was in phase three restrictions, um, mm-hmm. where we were able to, to... And that was pre-compulsory masks, even. Yes, and we were enjoying that nice sort of two two months, six weeks of uh, freedom. Yeah, so I was just really just getting back into doing my face-to-face work in Melbourne when we went back into phase four lockdown or whatever it was back then. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, mm. so since then I've only really just started back up in, yeah, last week really when we've, because then even with the restrictions lifted, yes. we've had the 5K zone um, oh, we had this 5k work. limit that became 25k, yeah. didn't we? Yeah, um, I actually don't work with anyone within a 5k limit <coughs> where I live, so uh, but because it's an essential service, you would have been allowed to have traveled yeah. to a client. I yeah, did, I would have been um, able to, um, but yes, I haven't actually done any work until last week from face to face, so it's been lovely to be able to get back out on the street and uh, out and about. Did you feel like you had to sort of like concentrate and re- how do I do this? Uh, it's almost second nature actually. I think it's one of the interesting yeah. things about a profession like orientation mobility is that it's obviously every single person you work with is different and has different vision and different environments that they're traveling in and a lot of what you do almost becomes second nature. So that I know sometimes when I take out, if I'm mentoring students or people who don't know much about O&M, they will often kind of, because they'll, they'll often walk with me. So with, when you're doing O&M, we will often be walking just behind the person that we're teaching, which is really important mm. so that you're not blocking their residual vision if they have any or their hearing. Um, but sometimes mm. if I take people who don't know much about O&M, they get a bit stressed because they think I'm like I'm just casually strolling along behind the person. But I'm actually mm. very, very aware of exactly what's going on. So I know when I need to step in and I know if I need mm. to stop someone, if they're going to hurt themselves. But it's just through yep. experience and practice that stuff's almost just embedded in me now. So I don't consciously yeah. have to think about a lot of it. Right. Mm. I guess because a, a new client would kind of feel vulnerable probably in that sort of situation whereas if you're working with someone who's more experienced and um, they'd be quite a-okay yeah I mean I always talk to people about where I position like why I'm positioning myself in a particular um, place and obviously when we're if we're starting with someone new we might be doing a lot more um, close work together so closer contact mm. um, but yeah I will always explain to them you know the reason I'm just walking a little bit behind you is for for those reasons but also i work a lot with children so it's also really important Mm. to walk a little bit behind because they're really really good at picking up quite subtle 
things um, in terms of orientation. So they'll actually be following me, not doing it themselves. And I think what mm. I mean by that is I often will have seen kids in schools where people will go, oh, they know what their way around the school, their orientation is fantastic. And then you go in to do an O&M assessment and you go, okay, so take me to the office and they have no idea how to get there. And then you realise that what's been happening is that whoever the adult or someone else in the school has been walking next to them when they walk to the office. So what they're doing is they're not actually using their orientation skills. They're just watching, oh, I can see this person's about to turn right. Yes. Turning right. Oh, yeah. oh. And they're actually just using that other person for the orientation. So that's another reason why O&M specialists are always just that one step behind just to make sure mm. that those skills are really actually happening. I guess also being behind, you can see the arc of the cane if you're doing cane training. Yeah, yep. So sometimes uh, we might go in front and walk backwards. So that's one of the things you got to okay. learn. Oh, that's a good trick. Yeah, so sometimes, when, especially in early cane days, we might just be wanting to see like if the, how the person's holding the cane and, and things that are from that mm. front position. Uh, but, yeah, mm. it's all, all, all varies depending on what you're doing. It's, it's the same sort of thing like when I moved from cane training to using a guide dog, my instructors were always walking, following behind us and it's so that they could get a good view of what we were doing and, and, and also watch out for any potential things just like you would be doing with a cane user. Mm, yep. And it is, anything, it is something that comes with experience. You know, when you first start, you're obviously super hyper aware of everything that might go wrong and all the dangers you've got to be aware of and things. But it's like any job, I guess, or anything that you're doing. The more that you do it, the better you get at it and the more mm. confident you feel in your own ability to monitor those sorts of things. Mm. Mm. Just for the, the people who are not so used to, because we're all in the game, we're all in the, we're all in the biz, so to speak, um, there are some people who have not quite managed to grasp the importance of O&M or orientation of mobility. We were talking about some of those earlier today off channel. But how would you describe O&M to a person who is new to the blind community, i.e. A, a person who may have signed on to one of the agencies who is new, maybe a receptionist or a, a, a therapist in another field? and they hear this term O&M, how would you best describe it to people who are new? Well, I always split it into two parts. So I always will talk about orientation, really, when we're looking at that, we're just looking at three pretty basic questions, which is where am I, where am I going, mm. and how am I going to get there? Um, mm. And if I'm talking to professionals or other people, I will say, you know, that's something everybody does every day. I did that today coming to see you for our O&M session today, Elise. I had to think about, mm. all right, I'm leaving home. I need to drive to where you are. How am I going to uh, get there? Blah, yep. blah, blah. So, mm -hmm. mm. Yep. And we all, we all have to think about that. And that can be done by using a GPS, Definitely. going on a mm. route, driving, to catching a train. So I always talk about yep. orientation in, that, in just really around those three questions and then say, but then it's around using you know thinking about those questions without having either any vision or having low vision and then the mobility mm -hmm. side of things is really the, the either the tools or the way that you actually move through space um and for me it's, about, it's not just about being i mean safety is obviously one of the most important things if you're moving you know through an environment without vision you need to make sure that you're safe so your mobility skills help there but for me one of the really important things around good mobility skills um, is about moving gracefully and moving efficiently. Mm. So 
It's actually about having those skills. Um, well, where I've just talked about my my knowledge as an O and M specialist is subconscious almost. Someone who's a very good mm. long pain user, for example, will get to the level where they're not they're not consciously thinking about every single step they're taking. They're no, I don't. I, I just use the cane. I arc the cane. I don't. Even yeah, think about and it's only when something it draws your attention to something, like it hits a pole or drops off a mm. drop off you weren't expecting, that you focus in on that. So, or if you're mm. perhaps in a really unfamiliar area, yeah, as well. Yeah. Oh, you'll be feeling the surfaces through the cane. You know, mm. is this rough? Mm. Am I about to go down a step? And you'll concentrate harder then. But if you're just going in a known area, um, mm. you'll just go, oh, it looks pretty safe yeah. here. And, and I sort of always good use the analogy the for people who've driven. Like when you're first driving somewhere new, you're concentrating a lot on, oh, I've got to make sure I turn here and where am I going? And But if you're driving the same route every day, it, that becomes, you know, I'm sure most drivers have that mm. experience. We've driven from one place to another and then you've gone. I can't even remember if I stopped at those traffic lights and, you know, stop at that, you know. It just, you're just doing mm. it unconsciously. But then, yeah, so I mean, the main thing is you can talk about the two things separately, but you actually have to have skills in both areas to have good O&M skills. So you can't have good mobility mm. skills without having orientation skills. And it's not... Because it, it, is, it is interesting that a lot of sighted people don't realise that there are actually things that they do unconsciously that they're not even really looking when they're doing it and it's like I've said to some people you could probably find your own way around the house even with your reduced vision now or no vision because you've had to do it in a power cut or other situations but it's because you're thinking of it mm. and that it might be potentially difficult you you lose the ability and the confidence to do it. Yeah, and you know there's there are little tricks about you know little or skills you can teach people like how to trail down a mm. wall safely or how to square off to cross a space mm. or just your guiding skills and those sorts of things. I think the biggest block for people around O and M is the long cane, and not everyone who has mm. O and M uses a long cane. Um, we do work with people with low vision where we might be just teaching them how to use their functional vision more effectively. Um, and mm. most people who have a long cane do have some functional vision. Um, mm -hmm. And that's been, that's probably the biggest challenge because for some people there is still a stigma around using a cane. Um, yeah. It's changed a bit. Like I've seen a big difference in terms of kids with canes, partly because of the internet where um, families see little you know other families with kids using canes mm. and they go oh, i want my kid to be able to be that independent um but also because we're introducing canes now at such much a younger age. very early age and we also yeah. have colored mm. canes and all sorts of different things now like it's not just a white cane anymore you can I know. Get black you can mm. get leopard print you can get batman you can get whatever you want really um so you can spruce them up yeah, for the kids yeah. mm. and i know you know mm. some adults who've got three or four canes so they might have a white cane some things they might have, I know someone who's got like a leopard print or something for going out at night and something else that matches mm. some other outfit. And Yeah, yeah cane yeah. for every occasion. Like, well, you know, it's an accessory yeah. now. It's a fashion statement. Yeah. When, when my brother and sister-in-law got married, um, they were very conscious. They wanted to have canes with them on the day, mm -hmm. but they wanted to have canes that were appropriate for indoor work and didn't sort of um, stand out hugely 
um, as against what they were wearing and what they had on in the whole environment. So the, the really light telescopic canes worked for them really well. Yeah, 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 they're fantastic, some of the mm. canes. And I always talk to people about, you know, a cane's just a tool. It's just another tool in your toolkit. Mm. Um, you may mm. not need to, you know, it's not something you might need to use all the time. Um, yeah, but I guess individually everyone has to come to their own decision around that. I mean, mm. You mentioned before, Elise, that you had had a fall or there was something. That, oh, know, yes, I told you about that fall. Did I tell you about that fall? I obviously did. You remember me. mentioned yeah. it in the last podcast, I think. Mm, you did. Oh, yes, I did. Yes, yes. And uh, went face-planted and sprawled across the oncoming car at a roundabout and tore the knee out of my pants and uh, I thought that's the time I need to have yeah. I did some cane training when I was about 16 or 17 at school for a lot of people and here that, I am that trigger event where yes and then then there's that disaster of you know too much of a close shave not to get that skill going and I think I was 45 at the time or 44 and you know I've just taken to it, and I've, it's just second nature now. Mm. You know, I take it more seriously with cane training, and it's been really good because it can really stop you from, you know, getting into all sorts of difficulties and face planting and and that sort of stuff. Well, and some I, of the, I was of a generation where they didn't. I mean, if you could, you were a partial, they basically gave you an ID cane, and mm. oh, yeah. off off you go. Um, mm. It was when I when I got into adulthood, I thought, no, this is ridiculous. My vision's not necessarily going to stay the same. And when I got the long cane skills, I'm like, I wish I'd had these years ago. Yeah. Yeah, me too. There yeah. are a lot more people with low vision learning long cane skills earlier, which is fantastic. Mm. Which I think is a good thing because there's so many drop-offs and there's so many people out there now that have got no... Um, depth perception so they'll see steps they'll they won't see the steps rather mm. and uh, all, all of a sudden they're, they're falling down the steps they're going for one big trip mm. yeah that they don't want to go for so with as as we know most O&M is done with people it's not just a case of showing them how to get down to the shops or the, or the church it's a it's a lot more involved than that but uh usually as as we've just discussed on 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 this show here that you've been with people you're usually a little bit behind them if you're observing their usage of the cane or making sure they're safe or giving them the confidence to walk without somebody next to them etc but what happens in lockdown when for example you can't go and deliver the service to those clients in that manner yeah well as i said i haven't i didn't do any um o&m stuff during lockdown but i know quite a lot of people were still doing it in different parts of australia other o&m specialists and yep. it was mainly around um, giving coaching, I guess, supporting the people, other people in that person's family. So whether it was a parent or a partner or or whatever. So giving, you know, doing things over the phone, over FaceTime, where you're potentially phoning in and watching. Um, but most mm. of the ones that I'm aware of, there was always someone else, like a, another sighted person there with the person um, I don't know of anyone who did anything where it was just the person just the person yes because we talked in the last episode about the people in visi uh, visibility in WA mm. coming up with this business about do you want to explain that again about yeah, the, it's um, called, it's called, it is called okay. Rome so remote orientation and mobility so 
Yeah. Oh, okay, good. I have to have an acronym. Without the acronym, with the, go, with the GoPro, yeah. uh, GoPro harness yeah. around the body, and then the iPhone with the camera facing outwards, um, and then it was connected mm-hmm. to a Bluetooth headset, um, which was connected to the office back in Perth, and then there was also a support person who was also connected to the office back in Perth. Um, yep. Yeah, so that they could they could sort of basically set the camera up so you could see what was happening. It was interesting. I was in Perth mm. at one time and got to do a trial of it where I was under blindfold. Um, so mm-hmm. when you train to be an O&M specialist, you have to learn all the skills yourself under blindfold. Um, so yes. You go through that process of, you know, initially going, well, I'm just going to walk, you know, look, be guided. <laughs> what do you mean I'm going to be able to go down the street? <laughs> um, yeah, right up to, you know, being able to go through the city and get on, on and off public transport and things like that under blindfold or low vision simulators and using the cane. Um, mm. But yeah, so they, they did me, they let me do a roam session in Perth and it was actually fantastic. So I had the camera on, I had my cane and my blindfold and then I just had earphones cool. in. But within about, oh gosh, I reckon less than 30 seconds, I I would have sworn that the O&M specialist who was actually watching through the phone and talking to me through the Bluetooth earphones, I would have sworn that they were just right behind me. And it just felt exactly like a standard O&M lesson. I, I really forgot oh, okay. that they weren't there. Mm. It was really, really interesting. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it just, just took that little bit of time mm. to get used to the fact that you know, I'd, be, in a I'd be intrigued to try mm. that because I've had I would, I've, I would I've, too, I've, yeah. I've had a guide dog lesson with a walkie talkie on me with the instructor being miles behind. Yes. Um and um that that was quite fun. Yeah. And I mean I'm not sure if any other states have used it. And I guess the the biggest drawback is that it relies on having a really good internet connection. So if you're mm-hmm. doing it in yep. remote mm-hmm. parts of Australia, there are parts like the Kimberley and those areas some yeah. of the areas they were targeting in, in Western Australia. You know the internet connection is not necessarily going to be that reliable, so that, that yeah, can be one cellular access may not be good. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yep. So for because I, I was really intrigued when I first heard about that, I thought, what a great initiative! Because I was thinking, how the O and M is going to cope, and at, even the you know larger agencies, much less people in our business network. Here's a plug for Blindness and Beyond. We're all there. <laughs> giving referrals to each other and and taking on new clients and, and that sort of stuff in the uh, business network that we've built but um, basically any O&M whether it's a small business like what Bronwyn's doing or they're one of the larger agencies I was thinking how the what are the O&Ms going to be doing and I think some of them might have been here in uh, Vision Australia running webinars and yeah. that sort of stuff I'm not sure for, for clients you know sort of telling people about O&M as well as you know trying to do it remotely I'm not sure the Vision Australia ever got got to do it remotely but um, it's good that visibility did there was lots of good um, uh, resources coming out of places like America as well like really good ideas for things like develop doing concept development or things like that ways that you could set up different um, and I guess there are the other areas of O&M that people don't necessarily think about. And I suppose that that's often stuff that's more important for kids um, with congenital vision mm. impairment. So teaching them all those concepts that they normally would learn through vision is a big part of O&M. Mm. Um, so there was lots of great ideas going around about ways you could do do um, those kinds of lessons over Zoom and things like that. 
Over Zoom and that sort of stuff, yeah. So for you personally, all of a sudden, here we are. You've got your business. I know you were seeing some uh, friends and acquaintances of mine uh, after you worked with me about late last year and early this year, and all of a sudden, I guess it stopped for you and the clients themselves were missing out. How did that make you feel and how did it make them feel? Yeah, well, it's been pretty frustrating, really, and especially if you've been working on you know, a complicated orientation route or something like that where you mm. might have done weeks of training and you, you've just gotten up to the point where someone's, you know, really confident to complete a quite tricky route independently mm. and to have that suddenly just stop and not even be able to go out at all. You know, we sort of mm. have to go back a few steps in quite a lot of the programs, yes. which is frustrating. Yeah. And that's that's one of the things I'm interested to know too. So, for example, if you were working with someone before lockdown on, uh, say, quite a tricky route and one that was quite heavy traffic-wise, I guess after the lockdown was over and that people were going back to work, and I know out here our traffic flows haven't come back to actual normal. In some areas they're quite quiet still because there's still a lot of people working from home. Did you discover that too? Yeah, well that and in some ways, in fact Elise and I discovered that today in the little area where we we're did. in where they a lot of parts of Melbourne um, are blocking off streets completely so that restaurants and businesses can actually have outdoor dining now on the road. Mm. So the place where we were today they blocked off the whole Mornington. main street. Um, mm. Which actually was fantastic because it meant all the little side streets where normally you'd have to try and cross where there's traffic coming around and trying to get parking and was all empty. So um, you could walk oh, it was great. Road, I was explaining it to the roads, my niece Maddie and and Mama Kaz. I was telling them about it when we went down to do our shopping. I said, "Well, you should see Mornington now, you know." Because Karen just said, "Oh, where, where'd you go?" I asked just I said, we went to Mornington. And I said, "By the way, those two streets, particularly Main Street." It's all changed. It's all blocked off. And she goes, oh, you, really? I said, yep, they've embraced this thing here in Melbourne to so that, you know, to, it's part of their COVID safe plan and to allow restaurants and things to open is that they can get as many people out on the street as they possibly can. And they have they gone absolutely mad on the idea here in the Mornington Shire down oh, up there at Mornington, up on the top of the peninsula mm -hmm. there. And I'm sure they have, well, they have in Williamstown, I think you said too, haven't they? Yep. Yep, yep, over the other side. And, you know, you know, it's just, it's it's amazing. I just hope that, you know, come winter next year that we can all go back inside a bit more or they can get some outdoor heating for everybody. Yeah, so that, that's an interesting. But then you've also got the other, which it's just making me think about, you know, some, there are lots of places now where they're moving towards dual use, like um, Newcastle in... Um, just north of Sydney is an example I'm thinking of where there's like a pedestrianised mall area but mm. you can also still drive on it and there's also cyclists. Oh, shared, the, the shared yeah. spaces yeah, as we call them out. Yeah, yeah. the yeah. differentiation between where the actual road is or where the footpath is, they're becoming We've popular. Um, they're a challenge. We've mm. actually got um, Martin Abel Williamson that we interviewed on an earlier podcast was very heavily involved in drawing up some guidelines out here with Auckland Council as to how to designate the different areas or have some markings in that. And those actually ended up being picked up by the World Blind Union. Oh, great. So, um, yeah. Mm. So... It's interesting because I was speculating today, wasn't I, Bronwyn, where we were out saying, had somebody said to us a year ago, let's 
let's go out and put all these shops out on the road, you know, let's, because even one of them there I noticed had fake grass down, <laughs> fake lawn. Another one, there was a bit of new tar or bitumen under these tables, you know, and I'm sort of thinking to myself, if somebody had suggested this in in November nine, uh, 2019, they would have, oh no, we have to town plan that and we have to put it to council and we have to get all the people to vote on it and then we're gonna gonna change and gonna you know put motions to council and then amend them amendments and vote on the amendments and then we've got to get a, a you know an environmental study done and town planning and then we've got to we work we've got to work out how safe it's going to be and and all that sort of stuff and all of a sudden corona comes along it's like boom you've got it <laughs> that's right you know, like, no clowning around here let's just get everybody out on the street you know <laughs> so hopefully yes there'll be some, some positives in terms of, of yes, things that are yes. going to be helpful for, for mobility but yeah, certainly the well yeah because I, I noticed that none of them were obstructing our walking were they I don't think no, I, you know because sometimes you, you see a few shops around you think there's so much junk and the, you know that well especially some of those uh cheap two dollary type shops they used to have a habit of just chucking everything out on the path and there are there are guidelines here about using the curb side of the path mm. as opposed to the the window side the shop side yeah same no, here mm, and uh you know there didn't seem to be any tables that were getting in our way i don't remember no any they were all common. they were all on the curb side it was a nice mm. path of travel down the middle which was nice yeah, because yes. well, because we've got the um, shared cycle slash walkways as well, and a lot of those, where there is a like a designated walking only area, but then there is a wider area where you can actually walk, but cyclists can also go there. But we've managed to work out some delineators, so that a cane user or a, someone with a you know, guide dog can actually feel the difference and know whether they're on the walking part or the shared part. Fantastic. Yeah. Yes. Certainly, mm. certainly challenges. <laughs> mm. Oh, we just, and it created a really good atmosphere because all these businesses, you know, some you, you might get three cafes next to each other. Oh, you might get a couple of shops separating them, but no one was, in, you know, no one's in competition. They all had plenty of people sitting there, and it was a, apart from the wind, a beautiful sunny day. Yes. And not yeah. having cars driving down the street was lovely. Not having cars. <laughs> it was quite quiet. Very nice. And they even they even like had a bus stop there, and I'm thinking, how permanent is all this going to be? The bus route had to change to accommodate this. I remember mm. looking at this bus stop, saying this bus stop's not in, temporarily not in use because the bus is not going to stop here. I guess that's going to be the interesting challenge of some of the changes to the environment, and you get your mobility and your orientation, and you get used to that environment because of COVID. And then is there going to be a certain point where it either stays the same or it changes and are you going to have to get used to another yeah. change again? Yes, which reminds me of a funny story, but maybe I'll save that for later. Yeah. The lighter moments. <laughs> I like the, the lighter moments, section because yes, we really get to know our guests <laughs> and I get to have a snigger. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I actually yeah. haven't been back into the centre of Melbourne at all yet, so... Um, no, I haven't since I came through there the night before I came back from Bacchus Marsh the night before uh, the lockdown. It was the 7th of, yes, it was the 7th of the 7th, 7th of July. And I didn't know at that stage I was going to come down to the peninsula because Karen offered me two invitations, which I accepted. 
Uh, and I came through Southern Cross Station and, you know, to come on the news that this, we're about to go into lockdown, it was just a very eerie feeling to know that people were packing up ready to not come back. And that was after our, our slow or slower than other states um, emergence out of the first lockdown. And we never got to having any more than 20 people in a restaurant, whereas other states were doing 50 and that sort of stuff. So, you know, it was sort of very... I got into a taxi that Gekan had organised for us and uh, that was that. It's the last time I've been in the CBD. Yes, and I haven't been in there since March. But I'm thinking, you know, with wow. the lower pedestrian traffic, it's probably a good time to, to do something. I'm actually toying with the idea of uh, maybe going quickly. Well, I'm yeah. actually going in with um, a mutual friend of ours on Wednesday night to take some twilight photography. Uh, but we'll only be going to Burong Ma. We won't be probably going to... The, the streets I might be curious mm. to have a bit of a walk around because we're sort of all allowed to now but yeah you know, we'll be just parking the car at federation square and walking down to get the the shots i want you yeah know? well i haven't i haven't been into our cbd since since march but um march but there is a big push here in auckland to actually make our main street queen street completely vehicle free here Mm. And so they're looking at drop-off points, crossing points, um, and all those sorts of things. So there is actually a big consultation going on at the moment that I'm involved with um, on behalf of the blindness community to ensure that you know things are as accessible as possible to access that area. Yeah, because Melbourne, I mean, they did that with Swanston Street, and they were certainly going to do that with Elizabeth Street, where they... It's only the trams mm. now and, uh, you know, occasional mm. delivery vehicle, but they're pretty much pedestrian. Yeah. Well, we're, we're demanding that they need to, if they're going to be drop-off points and that, like for taxis and mobility vehicles and that, they need, the drop-off points need to be large enough to cater for the larger mobility vehicles because often a lot of cities forget about that. And so it's people that are in the power chairs and that that lead those big huge vehicles to transport around and miss out and don't have as easy access. Yeah. One of the interesting things that happened, and at least you might not even know this, but um, mm. I think it was two, there's one section on Swanson Street, I think it's Flinders Lane, um, where the tactile tie, warning tiles actually change colour. So they're Yes, yeah, they do, and I've got a movie of it. I, well, I found it by accident about a year ago. The road crossing site. So they put it in because so, people were crossing the road because they were too busy looking at their phones. But yeah, they've got red. them on the ground. The, the tactiles light up, green on yeah. red. And my first initial reaction was, oh, my God, I can't believe they've had to do that because people can't up, look up from a phone. But then I was working with I um, one of the clients I worked with who's actually deafblind um, but has a little bit of ah, yes. central vision and... For her, she was like, oh, this is fantastic because I can see this. I can't see this away. I, 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 I can see it was and it's tri- giving me the information about when it's safe to cross. Mm. I was like, oh, yeah. Well, I went, in with, I went in with Liz on one of our photography nights, uh, a different person that I'm going with this week, uh, and uh, basically it was after one of our failures when my memory card broke, so we ended up calling the photography off and going and getting Chinese. And we did a bit of a walk. I don't know how we found our way back to Swanson Street down down Little Burke Street or someplace we came down so we did the walk down Swanson Street and I noticed these it was August last year or September last year or September last year and I said to Liz look at that the tactiles are lighting up I just thought it was fun mm. I thought mm. I, I thought they did it because I thought somebody's dreamt this up 
because they just mm. want to add a bit of colour to the city, not knowing at that stage they're actually put there for people who are staring down at their bloody yeah, mobile phones. Stepping in front of it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, well, I've, yeah. I've had people come towards me when I'm crossing the road and come directly towards me and my dog, and I'm like, and it's because they're looking at the phone. Yeah. And not actually looking where they're going, and then all of a sudden they're oh oh oh, and then they look at you and they say, as if you should move out the way. And it's like, well, no, actually, it's actually become <laughs> it's... one of the biggest hazards for O and M. It's is other people not looking where they're going, and yeah, mm. yeah, or oh, people who want to jump over your cane. That's happened to mm. me in Eastland a few times. Up oh, I've had that. Yeah, and in actual fact, I was. Sorry, I was going to say, I always make sure, like, especially when working with someone new or someone who's totally blind or has very low vision, I always point out, like, um, especially if they're new, that it's actually most of the time it's not their fault if they bump into someone because people become quite mm. self-conscious and they think it's them and, they're you know, when they're mm. first learning their mobility skills. So always oh, really careful to explain that, no, 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 that person was looking at their phone or they were looking in the shop window, they didn't see you coming. Um, mm. Yeah, it's, but yeah, it's people walking along looking at their phones is. Just... I was actually, I was quite amazed. I, I don't know, but it was something really strange about Adelaide. But I have never had so many older people kick my cane out of the way when I've been walking on the street as I did in Adelaide. And my sighted friend Fiona, who's from Queensland was almost having a heart attack. She was getting so mad with the attitude of some of these people oh, towards kidding? my cane. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because I was, I was I was musing last week on one of our WhatsApp groups. I said, well, you know, it's good that everything's opened up. All the, all the good people are back having having dinners out and you know, having you know, their, their cafes and enjoying their cafes and restaurants in the Civic Square. People are back in the shops. People in the cafes in Eastland. And, yes, the dickheads are back <laughs> running into you. And, and, even, and even the goons who drive through the red light at Death Corner are back. Yes. Don't you just love it? Everything's coming back to normal, baby. God, yep, oh, even the, the yes. red light runners are back. I've got a little corner I call Death Corner. Carolyn's probably heard me talk about it before. Oh, well, I've got at an Eastland. intersection down the road here, and whenever I've done my um, mobility training when that with my guide dog instructor, my annual assessments, and we've gone down there, a couple of times the buzz has gone for crossing the road, and I've stood there and she says, well, you can go, and I go, no. And then the next thing, a car's gone flying through the red light. And I said, oh, I always, coming. I've always counted to 10 at that intersection before <laughs> I step off the Good idea. I've seen them stop when they see my cane uh, turning in, doing a right-hand turn into, this is what I call Death Corner at Warrandyte Road into one of the eastern entrances of Eastland. And it's like, it's almost like they're gung-ho to get in the shopping centre. They don't care who they're going to mow down to get into that shopping centre. <laughs> How many points for a blind lady, eh? <laughs> uh, and as O&M specialists, like, you always have, you always get, like, the death stare as well when you're working, because as I said before, we're often working behind. And it, it mm. never fails to astound me, like, sometimes if you're working in somewhere like a Westfield or somewhere where, where someone's shorelining, so that means they're, they're oh, yes. tapping, mm. you know, the edge of the shops to follow that wall. And, mm. you know, it's fairly obvious often that I'm working with them. And you'll see people sort of see the person coming towards them with the cane and they'll 
they'll kind of stop and then they look at me as if I'm going to enter, you know. Oh, you're the one who's meant to save yeah, them. Yeah, but then they'll, save them instead of you, stepping yeah. out from the wall, they pin themselves up flat against it. Yes. <laughs> and they're still looking at me going, <laughs> I don't know what to do. And I, just, I love it. I don't do anything because part of my job is making sure the person I'm working with knows what to do in all these different situations. But, yeah, Mm. I'm just like, oh, it's not really that hard. Either just speak or go the other way. (laughs) Same with cars over zebra crossings. One of my favourite things to do on the training Oh, God, Oh, yes. I I used to, when I I had some low vision, one of my favourite things to do was used to whack the bumper (laughs) of the car or whack the tyre of the car with my cane as I went by deliberately. Just, <laughs> just I remember just on, on one of the uh, R&M courses yeah. I was teaching, we were up in New South Wales, and uh, there was a fairly notorious zebra crossing in a in a shopping strip, and mm-hmm. we're working. The students were working under blindfold, and yeah, there was a guy who got stuck. Like literally, this car was right across the zebra crossing, um, and I I told the student I was working with to just cross the road anyway, um, because again, it's about what do you do if you're halfway across the zebra crossing and you suddenly there's a car there that you're not expecting. Mm. But the guy's face was an absolute classic. Like he had his window down and he was just looking at absolute panic at us getting closer and closer. But because didn't say anything, all he had to do was go, sorry, mate, you know, I'm my car's stuck or something. But it was a yeah. complete look of horror and panic as we uh, <laughs> ended up on the crossing. It's, it's also quite interesting, some of the stereotypes that sighted people have out there. I noticed in particular when I had low vision, I had two sets of glasses. I had my regular clear glasses for every day and I had a prescription pair of sunglasses. And when I was working in the CBD, if I wore the regular pair of glasses and I was using the long cane and walking down the main street here in Auckland, people wouldn't get out of my way. You know, in mm. fact, they almost want to walk into you. Put the dark glasses on, and it's like the Stevie Wonder effect, and they all dive <laughs> left and right to get out of my way. Yeah, I remember when the cane was once the parting of the Red Seas. You didn't go to Eastland at Christmas <laughs> yeah. time, it certainly isn't anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it can help, you know. My sister mm. encourages me to do it because it gets gets a lot of them out of the way but you'll you'll you know you'll never stop a, a you know a, like a, a you know like i guess I, I guess you could say a suicidal mobile phone user who's peering at their <laughs> mobile phone. that's right uh, <laughs> an accident waiting to happen one of the other things we do now which I, we were talking a bit for, about earlier today um because we now introduce canes mm. well to babies even before they're walking we will introduce canes into that into the child's house um as a yeah. play thing or things but what we do, one of the teaching techniques we now use is to give what we call a teaching cane to their parent. So they have an adult size mm. cane as well as a little tiny baby's cane. Um, so that the parent uses the cane and as the child starts to walk, they will, they can just hold onto the bottom of the cane and feel what it's moving or the parent can even hold their baby still and the child can feel the, the movement through the cane. Um, or the mm. kid might be having their cane in their hand and then their other hand on mum and dad's cane and copying what they're doing. And that's been such a powerful, um, A, teaching tool because it's, it's, it's so, you know, the kids are wanting to do what mum and dad's doing. But it's also been a fantastic mm. way for parents to 
to really get that hands-on experience of what a cane is actually for and why it's so important to have a cane and why it can be such a useful tool. Um, mm. So, yeah, that's been, been a really um, great way of introducing canes to really young kids. And, and also enabling them to get confident around the outside of the place where they live. And so, you know, at a young age, they can confidently go down to the letterbox and get the mail on their own. Yeah, absolutely. With the cane. Yep. Yeah. 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 We set up like we often, when we're working in that early space, we, we just set up what we call little mini routes. So even if they're just starting to walk, mm. we might just look at, all right, every, uh, every time you go from the bedroom to the kitchen, this is when we're going to do trailing. So you get the parents to start to encourage the child just to trail down mm. the wall. And um, it was the same as what I was talking about in the CVI stuff. It's about implementing all those little techniques into the daily routines. So it just becomes, part, mm. A, it empowers parents to know that they actually can support their child's mobility development, but also it just becomes then part of daily life. Like it's not some special extra thing that you're needing to, mm. to learn this is just how you do this little bit of the day every day mm. or it might be you know taking using your cane just to get out to the car and if that's the only time you use it through the day that's fine and then as they get bigger and more confident yeah. you start building on that mm. Mm. yeah i think it's a wonderful device the white cane mm. It can save a lot of accidents. I'll just let people know that someone blind is coming to you, towards you. I've even used it on the walking track here. Mm. You know, so. I, I, I particularly, because I've got double-jointed ankles um, and sometimes they can turn, and that's especially on rough surfaces. So I've particularly enjoyed the cane on rough surfaces or, or especially in particular for steps and that because it gives me the confidence that I know that I can then plant my foot... And I'm going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. Know? And there's so many different cane tips available now. Like, I mean, back when I yes. started, we basically yeah, just had the pencil tip and that was it, really. But now we've yeah. got, you know, lots yeah, of now you got round tips, tips and, and round tips. And there's one that's called a Dakota disc, which is like... Oh, yes. So marshmallows. There's one that's called the Bundu yeah. Basher, which has come from South Africa. Um, oh, okay. It's kind of like a curve. Well, how do I describe it? It's it's like it's a, a normal straight tip, but then with a curve on the bottom. So you actually oh. do it. You use your cane in a bit of an S shape. So you slide mm. it from side to side. So it was designed to go through really long grass and stuff in South Africa. Okay. okay I, yeah. I've used that a few times in really rural parts of Australia where it might be just gravel and there's no footpaths or verges or anything. And it's really rough mm. gravel because sometimes, you know, the cane tips can get stuck and yeah. that. So, yeah, yeah there's all sorts yeah. of different techniques. And I um, I thought the Dakota one was funny. Yeah. I was playing with that. It was great. <laughs> but I guess people, our friend who had it, the cane broke, I think, or seized up. <laughs> but, yeah, so people who are listening who, you know, might not know that there are different things. And the other thing that's really changed since I started O&M is the length of the cane. So we now yes. give canes a lot longer than what we used to. Um, mm -hmm. So it used to be measured up traditionally to the sternum, um, whereas now mm. we tend to give canes that are at least shoulder height or higher. Yeah, now the I, Americans I, started that, yeah, didn't they? Yeah, that's actually yeah. feedback oh, that's would... come back from blind cane users, you know. What a radical idea. Ask the people who actually yeah. use the cane. We get that guy who does the um, echolocation. Yeah, Daniel Kish. Uh, yeah. Now, I saw him in Perth and he was strutting across the, uh, the stage. And I, yep. 
typical American cane longer than yeah, he's just about. <laughs> but but if you but, if you are a, a very quick user of the cane, you do get much more benefit when it when it is when it is that that bit longer. A bit longer. Well, Bronwyn wanted to try a longer one on me about a year ago. We just haven't got around to doing yes, it. Yes, I will get one and we'll try it. We'll have to Sometimes even just ones, a tiny bit. So that's something when you work as mm. an O&M specialist, you sort of get to, you can start to even see that when people are walking. Like you might measure up the cane or take out one that you think is the right size and sometimes you go, no, there's just something not quite right here. And it's not even something mm. you can describe necessarily, but you go, I reckon if I give you a cane that's just a couple of inches longer, that's going to make all the difference. And it does. <laughs> and and if you're an experienced cane user, sometimes you can even figure because as as time went by, I I said to an instructor once, I said, I think I need a longer cane. I'm finding this just isn't quite doing it for me. And then as soon as I tried that longer cane, I was like, yes, this does it. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Yep. I'm still got the traditional up to the sternum one, but I would love to try one a bit a bit longer. Yes, we'll, we'll do mm. some experimenting. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I'll, I'll probably go a lot faster and, with it, I guess. And I guess a lot of people don't realise too, because I was explaining when I was at a school just last week to the children that there is a couple of different methods that people use for using the cane. There's not just one set method. And like some people like to have full contact and other people like to actually do the tap. Tapping, tap. Yeah. 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 And um, it, it, it comes down to personal choice and the individual's ability. And they were like, wow, you know. Yeah, and I always look at it like, I mean, I initially when I learnt, we always, everyone learnt two-point touch, which is the tapping from side to side, mm. which I still mm. tend to teach initially for people, particularly if, they're, if they have no vision or very, very little mm. vision. It, learning that really helps get your technique pretty spot on. But yeah, in that mm. constant contact technique where you're not lifting the cane off the ground is really helpful. So it's good for people then to have that whole range and then know that, all oh, right, if I'm in this situation, this is going to be useful. And if I'm in that situation, because when you're tapping it, you can mm. often use that for echo location. Get the echo location. Well. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, but yeah, no, there's there's lots of all sorts of different mm. techniques and yeah, it's all individual. Yeah. Like everything in O&M, every person's different and... We we always design all the O&M programs around that person's individual needs. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yep. And then and that's what it's all about. Because I'm I'm one of the ones who like to sort of drag it a bit and you know to get the constant contact with the terrain. Yeah, you know. I'm a, I'm a full contact person too. Mm. Yeah. Yep. But you can certainly see how it really differs because I'm sure most people just don't think that there's so much work involved in using a cane and, and you have to sort of know so much and after you've done it for a long time it becomes second nature but it's a lot of concentration for the for people who are encountering it as a well there's people I know who are transitioning from full-sightedness to you know limited mm. vision oh definitely mm. and as I talked right at the beginning you know it's also then it's not just using the cane you've also got to then use all that orientation information that you're now getting from other senses. So if you've been using vision most of your life to mm. then transfer that to potentially audio Listen. and tactile mm. and then also be thinking about the cane, that's a lot to take mm. on. So it's really important that O&M programs are structured appropriately so that you, I mean, you, you, you learn how to put people just beyond their comfort level when it's re when you're ready to, but... You know, initially yep, yep. it's it's often just going up and down a bit of a straight path or some, something that's very it's, simple and not too much else going on while you get the technique going. Mm. 
Because it's, 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 it's like I get all these shocked looks when I'm out and about and I'm talking and I say, um, well, with the guide dog, it's partnership. And it's like, she'll get me from A to B, but my job is to cross the road. That's not her job. I make that decision. And they're like, oh, what? Oh, what? So you, what? you mean your guide, your guide dog can't tell the time and read the traffic lights? And the right timetable? Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, yeah, come on, you. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but they're like, what? So you still? And I was like, yeah. Well, cane users do it too. You know. You know. So like, it's it's still ultimately down to us and and our ability to use our other senses to cross the road. Oh yeah, I, I walked across. I I was um you know you can walk across a zebra crossing and you know the cars coming towards you are slowing down. Mm. I can't remember who I was with now. And somebody commented, I wasn't even looking at the car. Mm. because I knew exactly where it was in space by my hearing. And I thought, well, if I was totally blind, I wouldn't be looking at the car. You know, no. I knew exactly where that car was. I knew exactly what it was doing. I could hear it, you know, slowing down. And I knew exactly. And, that, and when I did look around, it was right where I thought it was going to be. Mm. Not a threat at all. Mm. Because that motorist was doing the right thing. It's, it's when people aren't doing the right thing and speeding through and slamming the brakes on or, or parking or, or, or pulling up halfway across a crossing. And, you know, you sort of think I can sort of see my way around it to an extent, but you don't want to walk out too far in front of the car because you might be walking, you know, you're walking perpendicular to um, to that car, but in line with the traffic that's coming on the left-hand side, on the right or on the right of you, say, for example, you don't want to get collected by the cars that are going in the same direction as you are because you've stepped out too far to dodge someone. Well, it's, it's not so much these days with the electric cars, but I remember when I was walking home from school, and, and using mm. my cane and I could tell on my street because there was a little side road I had to cross on the street where I lived but mm. I could tell when vehicles were coming down the road I could tell by the sound when they changed gear whether they yep. were going to turn the corner or not that's right yep and, you know and people were like you're joking and I'm like yeah, that, I, just a simple gear change, and I knew a car was going to do something different. Yeah, and it's the same as when I'll often, and I said this to Anne when I was with her in Palmerston North, I said, look, you know, uh, as you're crossing the road, wait, you, you, you talked about waiting to see what cars are doing for a couple of seconds when you hear the mm. light goes off, and if they're going to be doing right-hand turns through an intersection, and they're pretty good at doing that here in Melbourne, yeah. I'll wait for the cars to come you know, with me in the same line as me because if anyone's doing a right-hand turn, I'd rather them have a dead heat in the middle of the intersection with another vehicle, not me. <laughs> Which is one of the mm. great things, I guess, as well about, you know, it's such a, a, profession, a profession I fell into by accident and uh, it's such a rewarding profession to work, you know. Oh, do tell. That sounds like an intriguing uh, story. No, <laughs> Shall we put that in the lighter moments? Or do you want to tell it That's now? That's not really that interesting. The <laughs> oh. Well, I basically... Well, you I saw an ad in the newspaper. Mobility instructor wanted a sign here. So I, was, I did a psychology <laughs> okay. degree in Perth after um, I finished high school and I was starting to think about what I was going to do the next year and I was going to go into, like, uh, do a dip ed or something. And, yes, I literally mm -hmm. opened the paper randomly and saw an ad saying... Uh, Guide Dogs Australia is looking for people to come to Melbourne for a year to train to be orientation and mobility instructors. Uh, if you've done psychology, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, never heard of that, but that sounds interesting. And I don't know, it was one of those things I had this really gut reaction when I saw the ad that, well, I think if I apply for this, I'm going to get this. It, it sounds really silly to say it, but it, it was a real, 
I don't know. I had a really strong intuition that I would mm. get that position, which I did. And right. It changed yes. your life. It changed our lives too. Sometimes things happen that way. I mean, you know, you, you, you see something and you're like, oh, oh yeah, I'll go, I'll go for that. And you just never know how it's going to finish up and what direction it takes you. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But I think it's because it's, mobility, like the profession itself started um, – my dog is climbing all over me. Um, started, you know, as as post World War Two as a as a way of rehabilitating soldiers who come back to mm. America. So when it first started, it was actually quite a. It was very much a instructor um, led. So it was very much well. I'm the instructor, and I will tell you what to do. Which is what it was quite drill based. Mm. Um, so it's really it's one of the reasons we actually now don't call ourselves instructors as much. So we try to use the word O&M mm. specialist rather than O&M instructor. Mm -hmm. to, I guess to have that, because instructor kind of imply, implies that you're the expert and it implies that you're yeah. the, yeah, so there's, well, there's a potentially that that power imbalance of going, well, well I need to have the instructor come out and teach me how to do it. Um mm. Whereas it's actually more of a partnership. It's about learning, just as what you said, Carol, and it's about us, like me, learning as much from the person I'm working with as they're learning from me. So it's very much about working in conjunction, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, it's a partnership, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yes. And also we work now in such more diverse areas, like it's not just around teaching long cane skills to blind people, you know, low vision mobility is such a huge area now, children's grown massively, CVI as we already talked about, um, technology, environmental modifications, there's so much else involved. So, I've, I find it quite fascinating that how a lot of these things with in with regards to mobility and orientation, like the cane skills and even the guide dogs and, and even some blindness-related sports, they were all developed as rehabilitation tools after a war, mm. basically. When you look back at a lot of the history, that's quite fascinating. So while war is horrible in some ways, the blindness community and vision impaired people have have that to thank for a lot of the advancements that we've got yeah and that's one of the reasons like ch why children addition so originally you know the kids or you know people who had congenital blindness were institutionalized and you know in their own mm. community so because O&M was developed for people who had vision and lost vision that's completely different to working with someone who's never had vision um, or mm. things like all those concept development and things that you develop through vision as a child. So if you're an adult mm. and you've lost vision, you've got all that conceptual develop knowledge of the world. You know, you know mm. a lot of you know you know what space looks like and you know what things look like. You have that visual memory. But if you've never had vision, there's a whole lot of stuff that has to happen with kids in terms of de developing those concepts um, so that they can. They yeah. can develop good mobility skills. So all that area is really, yeah, that's that's stuff that's all really developed, particularly over the yeah. last. It's it's a, it's actually just saying to sighted people, you've actually got to show a blind child what a chair is, mm -hmm. but also explain to them that that not all chairs are going to be exactly the same, yeah. and that because they can't see it, they've got to get the, this concept in their mind. You know, there's a whole bunch of things that they've got to take in that. Um, tactilely that they can't see visually yeah yeah that's mm. a massive massive area 
Mm, definitely. Yeah. And you've had a lot of experience training other O&Ms, Bronwyn, haven't you? Yes, done a few, various... few training courses. I did some training in the UK as well. So I worked in, in the UK for a few years and taught on their rehab mm. workers course, which has an O&M component. Um, yep, and you've worked in New South Wales yep, and Victoria, um, O&M courses. And I also do yep. currently lecture at Macquarie Uni. So we have a, I'm teaching on the Master of Disability, Sensory Disability course. Um, oh, wow. So that's mostly for people who are going to become um, itinerant support teachers for vision mm -hmm. and hearing impairment. Um, but there's one mm. unit that we do, which is an O&M one for the vision teachers. So that's really just giving people who are going to be moving into the education field just those fundamental basics of O&M so that they know um, about the language and what sort of things to look for and ways that they can support kids in schools with their O&M development. Mm. So, yeah, that's, a, that's something I really enjoy doing is the, the teaching of other teaching to other people the stuff that I've learnt over the last thing. Yes. <laughs> when the lockdowns finish or when they finished, depends on how you want to put it, what was the thing you wanted to really – what was – there's something you were hanging out to do. What's the let your hair down moment? Personally. <laughs> mm, yes, personally. Yep. Oh, there's been a few. There's a few. I think probably the main one will be just to see my friends, um, but also to get to some live music. Like one of the reasons I love living in mm. Melbourne is that I really like live music and used to go um, quite a lot to see live music in, in Melbourne. So that's been a real loss um I yeah there's a lot of bands now. and yeah. roadies and people who just can't work at the moment because there's been no entertainment mm. and one of the very last things i did which i did mention in the last podcast uh just before lockdown i was at, at way Adelaide, the world music festival it happens right. for four that goes over four days and that was amongst um you know ninety-five thousand people and then within two weeks we were in lockdown and it just felt surreal to think that i'd been at this beautiful music festival uh, in Adelaide mm. Botanic Gardens and then yes so yeah live music definitely and the other thing will be to get yep. back over to Western Australia where most of my family are uh, to see, see your them. family yes I bet you're missing yeah. them you know, well, Mark Mark McGowan's got the border closed he, he's getting a bit worried about the South Australians and I get lost with it all now each state as I was saying to you before has a has a has a has a level of nastiness that oh Victoria, one state will say, well you can come off our problem list now, but maybe maybe not. And it's like each state has a has a different view on another state. And it's like, how does Western Australians how does Western Australia feel about Victorians today? How might they feel about us on the twenty seventh of of uh, November? Or oh, New South Wales are letting us off their, their dirty list on the twenty third of. Of, of November, but well, now you, know, you guys Tasmania's... know how it feels to be an Aucklander because that's what the rest of New Zealand does to yes. us. <laughs> <laughs> yes, hence the term Jaffa. But <laughs> <laughs> but Tasmania's taking Victoria off their dirty list on the twenty seventh, the week after New South Wales does. So it's like, ah, oh, geez, I don't know. Each state thinks that that's <laughs> crazy, you know. Queensland, well, if you're in Greater Western, if you're in Greater the Greater Sydney area, you're just as grubby as a Victorian. But if you're in rural New South Wales, you're clean. Mm -hmm. And they might take Victoria off their grubby list uh, before they take Greater Western Greater Sydney off their list. Who knows? It's unbelievable. You still got to travel through Sydney to get to the airport. So, 
crazy, isn't it? Fun times. <laughs> Fun times, yes. Maybe Mark McGowan will just say, we'll just we'll just secede from Australia and you'll have to get a passport yes. then. Well, that was always a joke when I was growing up in Perth mm. that uh, Western Australia would do that one day, so who knows? <laughs> now they're on their way to doing it. I guess you'll be looking forward. That, that will be a let your hair down moment that I think you will ter- cherish when it comes about. Yeah. Going back to see your folks in WA. Thanks, uh, thanks, Bronwyn, for coming in a second time. You got two shots at the Corona chair. I, I think we'll probably get some of that. Hopefully Sorry? it's been interesting for people. Oh, I think it's been very interesting. Mm-hmm. When we talked about it over lunch, uh, Carolyn and Bronwyn and I got together over a over a cup of coffee slash hot chocolate in the street that would normally have cars on it. That's down up in Mornington there. Uh one of us said, I think we need to make this a two-parter with the amount of interesting things Bronwyn's got to share with us. So mm. thank you for coming in. You're listening to The Kiwi and the Emu with Carolyn Pete, myself, Elise Lunsdale, and thanks again to Dr. Bronwyn Scott. This is the lighter moments section. Geez, two lighter moments. Now, somebody did have a funny anecdote they were going to share with us. I, and I remembered one when... One of the stories Carolyn was saying, which was when I'd been teach, I'd spent ages and ages. If this was back in Perth a long time ago, I was teaching someone mm. um, the route to the bus stop to get into the city for work, and they were totally blind, yeah. non-cane user. And it had taken us quite a long time because it was quite a tricky route to do orientation. And we we were just up to the very last lesson. So normally what we do in the last lesson, if we can, is do like what we call a semi-solo or even a solo. But this was a semi-solo where the person pretty much does the route independently and the ONM specialist kind of just hovering around far far away, just making sure everything's fine. Anyway, we got and <laughs> we got all the way through the route and then the, the, the guy got to where the bus stop was and in between the previous lesson the week before and the lesson there the bus stop had been dug up and shifted a block down the street for some unknown reason so oh no you know, just, oh, like, no. <laughs> the bus stop have disappeared actually been dug up and moved so uh yeah we're going more lessons <laughs> to do the next bit <laughs> Oh gosh, oh. case of the missing bus stop. <laughs> that, that, that's about as bad as um, a couple of years ago um, when I was walking through uh, the shopping area of Newmarket here and I trained Imogen to find the shoe shop for me. And this particular shoe shop was called Hannah's and she was really good at finding it. And so we were walking down Broadway and I said, oh, find Hannah's. So anyway, we stop and it she's sort of looking around and I'm like, what's the problem, Imogen, you know? And I'm thinking, we must be near it. And I couldn't, it was almost like she was puzzled. And then I asked to pass her by and they said, oh, they've moved, they've closed down. So she was Uh. at the right place, but she was like, well, this ain't a shoe shop though. What's happened? (laughs) (laughs) Case of the missing shoe shop. (laughs) Oh, dear. Well, imagine if somebody who was blind turned up at that bus stop we went to today, Bronwyn, and, you know, they're temporarily not using it because the bus can't go on that route. Yeah, yeah. They could be waiting a long time. We might have to sort of take them a meal and a bed and a TV set. They could set up camp. But there's always lots of funny moments, especially working with kids and stuff. There's always... It's one of the other nice things is you always get to have a good laugh with lots of people that you work with. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, all the blind tricks. 
I had an awesome O&M instructor when I was at, at, at home. I, and it was, um, she was from the United States and we, we, she was very naughty because um, once we finished our, own, uh, our mobility lesson, she'd get out the tandem and she'd take us out for a ride. And these were on some of the busiest roads in South Auckland and going at top speeds. And this is in the days with no helmets on. And us kids used to just hang out for that ride on the tandem. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the fun and games of what you, could, what you could get up to in the old days and reminiscing yeah. that you can't do now, sadly. No, no. Oh, no. Yep. But there again, I'd rather have a helmet than a head injury. It's been great down here. I can't thank Karen enough and the family for having me here. And it's been, uh, and, you know, I'll be toying and froing a bit. But, um, yeah, there's uh, life is starting to resume. And who knows whether most of that will be down on the peninsula or up there. At the moment, it's, it's all over the shop. But, you know, I sort of feel like I've got a double life at the moment. <laughs> Plenty of commuting. Yeah. Plenty of mobility to be had. That's right. Lots Learning new, new places. Lots hey? of new areas to learn. Once again, Bronwyn, thanks for your time. And uh, who have we got next time? Carolyn, have we got our Friday night people yet or are you still working on that one? I'm still working on that one. So um, we've got a few very interesting guests coming up in the next wee while. So people will just have to stay tuned. But on Saturday Australian time, Friday night American time, we are interviewing our first American. But that's just not all. But just to let you know, this lady has the coronavirus. A blind lady from the States who has got COVID-19 and is on the road to recovery, fortunately, her and her husband. And she will have a very interesting tale to tell, not just about the way they've done lockdowns in New Mexico, but her personal story, which she's willing to share with us on her experience and the symptoms thereof. And I'm working on a couple of people that are sports nuts. So if you like your sports... It'll be Stay about tuned. how yeah, how COVID impacted the sports. It's been wonderful. We love each other. We pick on each other. And you know the deal. If you pick on one, you pick on two. The Kiwi and the Hemu.